0: Hello, my friends. This is Madge. um, This is the MadgeCast. And this is where we talk about resistance and resilience in this sort of completely terrifying epoch of human history that we find ourselves living through right now. So thank you for listening. And thanks to everyone who listened last week and gave me your feedback. I'm really glad that Anything that I'm able to do is helpful in any way at this point. So um, thanks for that. This week, I wanted to um, talk about something that I've been feeling that it seems like a lot of my friends have also been feeling, which is this feeling like I really need to do something about all this right now. And yet there's so much to do. I don't really know what to do. And that's sort of an overwhelming, restless feeling. It's a feeling that can leave you very unfocused um, and can leave you sort of clicking around and lost in all the possibilities for ways that you could go. So this week, I sort of wanted to talk about how I process that feeling and um, how it's working through me right now and um, what my conclusions are, at least for this week. God knows what's going to happen next week that might change everything. But at least for now, here's where I'm at. When I am feeling super unfocused and powerless and helpless and sort of uh, adrift, normally the place I turn is to books. Books have saved me my entire life. And that's the first place I look when I'm troubled right now, Um, you know, past the whole I'm weeping and I need someone to hold me. Once I make it past that stage and I want to start thinking about possible reactions, I turn to books. And this week specifically, I turned to um, two books written by Octavia Butler back in the 90s. She was a really tremendous author, African-American woman won the MacArthur Genius Grant. I think she's the only sci-fi writer to ever win that. And she's probably my favorite writer of all time. I first read these books a couple of years ago, and they had a big impact on me. In fact, I wrote about them on Be Less Crazy. If you go to the webpage and scroll down like halfway on the front page, you'll see the piece that I wrote. And recently I reached for them again to reread them in the last week. Because uh, the world they take place in is uh, in the near future, and it shares some very striking similarities to the world that we're living in right now. It's just about 15 years further along. But um, climate change is in full swing, sort of shaking everything up in a major way. Uh, Institutions like the post office and the police and public school, they're all crumbled there's a lot of um, widespread racist and misogynist acts, a lot of violent acts based on bias like that. And in those, these books, there's even a demagogue running for president under the slogan, Make America Great Again. <laughs> so, um, you know, this world is a little bit further gone than we are, but there is a lot of overlap. And the main character is a young black woman named Lauren Oya Olamina, And she grows up in a very poor community in the midst of all this, but it's stable. Her dad is a Baptist preacher, and they run a school out of their house. And she is real smart, and she learns from her surroundings and pays attention to history. And over the years, she starts to write these verses that, to her, come together in a belief system that um, seems to be right and accurate and also helpful. And she wants to share it with other people. And she calls her religion Earthseed. Um, Here's the first verse that she writes for Earthseed. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Change. So um, it's not a super cuddly religion, right? Like there's no God who is um, sitting up on a throne and sending you His love, right? There's no um, any kind of personal aspect to God that like cares about you or cares about the dinosaurs or cares about anything. In Earthseed, God is simply the process of change itself. And because it is the most powerful force in the universe, they call it God. But it is a God that is impersonal and relentless. And um, it's kind of harsh as far as religions go. (laughs) But there is a good news aspect to it, which is that even in the face of inexorable change, we humans have some measure of power. Uh, First, we can shape change just as it shapes us. And second, we can offer each other kindness and support through the process of change. And that's about it. There's no mystical aspect. There's no supernatural aspect to it. It's just this idea that change is something that happens. And we may as well face that, work with it, partner it, resist it when needed, but always understand that we are both... Subjects of change and participants in change. And uh, Olomina throughout the books, she walks a very hard road. Um, she's enslaved. She's raped. Her children are taken away from her. Her friends die. But these beliefs center her through all of that. They focus her efforts, and they remind her that she still has agency even as she walks through all of this. Um, They also allow her to gather a community of people around her, and the beliefs have the same effect on them. They uh, focus their minds. They enable them to exercise the influence that they do have. So um, I love these books not only for the story, not only for the inspiration that Olamina provides me. She's totally my What Would Olamina Do? person. But also, just because of these teachings, they have the same impact on me that they have on Olamina. They um, offer me a lot of strength and perspective when I take the time to consider them in the light of um, what's happening in my world right now. And, you know, even though they come from a sci fi book, hey, they still seem to me, anyway, to spell out some very great truths in a clear and accurate way namely that life on this planet is real as hell and a lot of it is bullshit but we do have some capacity to shape the events to come not completely we don't have control but we um we have more agency and capacity to make things happen than i we generally think we we do So as I was reading all of this this week, I was um, just trying to really think about it in terms of the resistance that's starting to take shape in the post-election world. And some of the resistance that I see gathering is really fantastic to see. There are some young uh, black woman leaders and writers out there who are really leading the charge. And um, at the same time, some of what I'm seeing, even on the liberal side of things, is alarming the hell out of me. Uh, Specifically, the thing that's alarming to me is the liberals who are calling for an end to what they call identity politics. Um, and, And the thing that gets me is that it's taking a position as though what's wrong with the world is that we're focusing too much on the rights of women and too much on black people and brown people and immigrants and indigenous peoples and transgender and gay and lesbian and queer folks when nothing could be further from the truth, right? Um, It's not like Hillary lost the election because she said Black Lives Matter one too many times. And to distill it down to that, is, in my view, ridiculous and also um, harmful to our movement, right? Because when people say, oh, let's move beyond identity politics and focus on the issues that everyone can agree on, um, that's meant to sound very reasonable and rational. But if you think it through and if you think about who is meant by everyone, um, it starts to fall apart, right? So let's imagine that we have a platform and plank by plank, we start removing everything that's designed to benefit some marginalized group, right? So we yank out reproductive rights, we pull out civil rights, prison reform, immigration reform, marriage equality, rights and benefits for people with disabilities. We pull all that stuff out. And At that point, what we're left with is coincidentally only that set of issues that white guys care about. That's it, because we pulled everything else out. So um, this is the furthest thing from a rational or reasonable request, right? At best, it's centering whiteness as the default position yet again. And at worst, it's bending over backwards to enable people who want to further white supremacy. So um, either way, it's just sort of preemptively giving in to Trump's agenda, right? It's uh, buying into the narrative that diversity and thinking about what other people need makes America weak. It's buying into the story that we have to go back um, it's buying into the idea that the position that matters in America is white maleness. And, um, and it's morally wrong and it's tactically wrong as well because m- minorities turned out way more for Democrats in this election than white people did anyway. So um, it's not right in terms of what you should do as a person and also not right in terms of what's going to win an election. And incidentally, it's also exactly what historians who have studied fascism tell us not to do. So uh, there's a historian at Yale named Timothy Snyder who came out last week with a list of 20 things to do now that totalitarianism is balls out, straight-headed for us. And I'll post the link to the rest of that piece in the show notes. But the very first item on his list is this. Do not obey in advance. Much of the power of authoritarianism is freely given. In times like these, individuals think ahead about what a more repressive government will want and then start to do it without being asked. You've already done this, haven't you? Stop. Anticipatory obedience teaches authorities what is possible and accelerates unfreedom. So, yeah, Um, We need to keep this in mind as we build this resistance, right? We can't just roll over on policies designed to protect the rights of marginalized people because it seems like the right thing to do if we want to win the next election. We can't sell each other out, right? Um, We need to remember that we have a role to play in shaping this resistance, and we all need to make sure that um, we're not capitulating to the worst parts of the group of people that voted for Trump. I'm not saying that we can't reach out to people in empathy and understanding, but that is not the same thing as um, selling each other out. So, all right, um, I have another Earthseed verse here before we get into the last part of the podcast, and that is this. A victim of God may, through learning and adaptation, become a partner of God. A victim of God may, through forethought and planning, become a shaper of God. Or a victim of God may, through short-sightedness and fear, remain God's victim, God's plaything, God's prey. Um, yeah, so for me, I'm into this whole... Partnering and shaping with forethought and planning (laughs) more so than um, rolling over and uh, allowing our resistance to be torn apart and divided up. We need to come together and we need to stand firm in that. What we do here, it really matters. So um, right up until now, we've been talking about this sort of radical concept that what a person does matters right? Because we're not really taught that what we do matters that much. We're sort of taught that big important things happen out there somewhere in another place, a place that we are not. And um, to turn that on its head and to really understand that things that we do every day in our lives contribute to creating the world we want to live in. um, It's a big thing to let in. But once we do start to let that in, that the next question becomes, okay, if what I do matters, then what the hell do I do? (laughs) And, um, clearly there's not any easy answer to that. Um, I really wish that I could write a listicle and then we could all just do the stuff on it and then we'll be good, but this isn't a simple situation and it's not going to be solved in any kind of jiffy, Ultimately, any resolution that we achieve is going to take a lot of time and effort. And any success that we have is going to come from a diversity of efforts and tactics and ideas. So in my opinion, the first and most important thing that we need to do is to set ourselves up for a long haul. And that basically comes down to three things. The first is to develop our support systems. Um, So that is, you know, figuring out how to take care of ourselves, how to show up strong and uh, continue to have energy to fight over the coming months and years that we're going to need to fight. The second thing that I think is important to do is to articulate our ideals so that we know what we're fighting for. If one of our ideals is equality, Um, If one of our ideals is everyone has the same right to uh, freedom and speech and opportunity, then we need to say all of that out loud because in the weeks and months and years ahead, it's going to be easy to forget that. There's going to be a lot of pressure to forget that. So if we articulate it now um, and are very clear about it now, that can only help us be more focused And then the last part is to connect with other people. And, um, you know, I personally live in a place where I don't have a lot of really close friends yet. So um, connecting with people is sort of twofold for me, right? It's making sure that I talk to my uh, beloved people in other cities and other countries and also making sure that I, in 3D, go and connect with some other 3D people in my town. (laughs) Those are both really important things to have going, right? Because, um, we need to talk to each other and we need to work together. None of us is going to sit in a room by ourselves and figure this out. So, um, you know, those three things being in place, um, some sort of self-care and support network, some sort of clear articulation of what we're fighting for and, um, ever growing connections and relationships with other people those are the three basic things that we need to do and from there there's a lot of different ways we could go right Um, the essay by tim snyder that i referred to earlier is a good place to start he has 20 different actions on there some are real specific like making sure you have a passport in case you need to get out of dodge Um, and setting up donations to uh, organizations that you believe in. And then other of the other actions that he lists are more general, like um, refusing to use doublespeak, calling things by their right names, um, not rolling over on facts, (laughs) continuing to believe in facts. So um, those are things that um, I'm working on. Specifically, I'm reading a lot. I'm having a conversation with my friends every Sunday. We've done it twice now, and it seems to really be helping. I'm going to meetings in the community. I'm still making my phone calls. I'm still donating my money. And uh, the last thing that I'm trying to get back into is writing. Um, Some of you might know, I wrote a book a few years ago called Be Less Crazy About Your Body, this year, um, I've been working on the follow-up to that book, Be Less Crazy About Love, and I've made a lot of good progress on it. But in the wake of everything that's been happening the last few weeks, it sort of seemed a little less important. But honestly, it's not. We all have our contribution to make. And um, for me, if I'm able to help any women that read my work Sort of reject their conditioning and step into um, a new type of reality where they're not limited by having been taught to hate their body or having been taught to prioritize love over everything else, then that's a win. That's a good thing. Like I have to keep doing what I am here to do, which is right. So I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you if you paint, paint. If you sing, sing. Don't let this situation, snatch that away from you because it is important. All right. So, um, that's everything, not everything. That's a small sampling of what's been on my mind this week. Um, just to recap getting strength from the books that, uh, speak to me right now, specifically parable of the sower and parable of the talents If they sound interesting to you, I encourage you to read them. Um, Secondly is using those tools, right? Using the strength and the focus that I get from those books to remember that what I do matters. And thirdly, to, uh, to do the best shaping that I can in all of the circles of influence that I find myself in. So, um, yeah, that's what's on my mind grapes. Um, Thank you for listening again. If you would like to talk to me, or if you have questions or feedback, or you're tired of hearing me say um so much. Sorry, I'm working on that. But um, you can email me at belesscrazy at gmail.com. Be less crazy is all one word. You can also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes now if you want. Um, you can leave a review if you want, which is also nice, just search for MadgeCast and you should be able to find it. And again, thank you very much for listening. Stay strong.